Welcome to the Ephesiology Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the study of the early Christian movement and its implications for the church today. joined, as always, by our resident ephesiologist, Michael, uh, who looks uh, very warm, toasty, and ready to record. Uh, it's chilly my name here is, still. Well, it's getting cold here as well. Uh, my name is Andrew. I am the associate pastor at Neartown Church in Houston, Texas, and today we have the joy, the absolute and distinct joy, by being joined by Steve Leston, the president and CEO of Two Every Tribe, an excellent missions organization here in Texas. So I just already feel great kinship, Steve, <laughs> that we That's have right. now ganged up against Michael, although he has his exactly. Texan roots. So really it's a, Hey, look right there. Yeah. It's a trio right there. Texas A&M. There it is. There it is. So for those who are not watching the video on this podcast, Michael's pointing to a wall in which his degree sits from A&M. But hey, Whoop. Michael, you are not the star of the show. <laughs> you are not the star of the show. It is Steve. Steve, welcome onto our podcast today. Hey, thanks for having me. It's a it's a pleasure. Uh so okay, so behind the mics, we know you, Steve. But as far as the Ephesiology podcast, um, our listeners haven't really had the opportunity to hear from you. Um, so they don't know you from really anybody. Could you help us beyond your name and title? Uh, who are you? What are some important things that people should know about you? All right. Well, I am a uh, native from the Chicago area. So grew up about 20 miles west of downtown Chicago. Okay. Diehard Bears fan. Okay. So, oh, you know, it's hard being a Bears fan these days, isn't it? It is. But, you know, right now, For this sure. is the time of the year we're always very excited. Like all optimism, you know, and then by September it's crushed. But yeah, but, but right you think now. about last year. So the Bears yeah. win all of their preseason games and then just have an abysmal season. Exactly. That's what people get for hoping in a preseason. Okay, let's not go yeah. down this this road. Steve, <laughs> Bears fan. Bears fan, yes, sad Bears yes. fan. Yep. Married. Uh been married coming up on uh twenty-nine years here in a hey. uh, couple months. Congratulations. And, yeah. And four four adult children were empty nesters, so we are enjoying that season of life. And um, one joy is that our my oldest daughter, her husband, and our, we have one grandchild and one on the way. They are uh, actually served with to every tribe as missionaries. So, oh, so that's, that's nice cool. to be able to work with my daughter and son-in-law. And they're, they're great people. Um, but yeah, and I've been involved in ministry for about 34-ish years and done everything from pastoring to church planting to cross-cultural missions and kind of uh, it, it touched on all the points of of the different parts of the mission. And so so it's fun to be able to kind of take this season of life and and try to think about multiplication instead of addition, instead of me just doing mm -hmm. the work, investing into generations of people to do it further and to send church planting teams out to plant churches all around the world. Mm, that's cool. Well, tell us a little bit more about To Every Tribe. So Every Tribe is a mission agency that our, our main focus is church planting in complicated areas of the world. 
So that's a real heart that we have is to find unreached or super underreached or complex areas. And uh, and then to train people to go to those areas. Uh, one unique thing about our name is um, we like to emphasize the middle word of it, every tribe. And the reason why we emphasize that is that we tend to find the areas that you didn't know were on the map. And so, you know, so to be able to go into some place in the world where um, people would have just overlooked it, maybe flew over it, didn't realize that there was an unreached people group there or just an area that's been underreached. And so we realize there's giant mission agencies that do great job in some of the big areas. We like to focus right. on the the places that you can't that you didn't know an unreached people group or a, a group was even there that needs the gospel in a church. And then we focus heavily on preparing forming teams training teams preparing those teams specifically preparing them for those areas so it's a very hands-on very specific type of thing it's not just general training in, in missiology but but actually helping you understand what role you play on the team your heart in the team and then what you um how to actually take the gifts that you have and use them to engage that area so it, it's very specific training to reach very specific areas. I love your training too. I've been down there and had the privilege to sit with you and some of your team to learn more about what you guys are doing in training and how extensive it is and and uh, how prepared your missionaries are, are as they're going out to the field because you're sending them into difficult places. Yeah. 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 Our, our passion you know, is, is this, it's kind of unique, but our goal isn't just to get you to the field. Our goal is to keep you there. Mm. And and so sometimes the emphasis so is, good. I just want to go. I just want to go. And and when you have a passion to go, sometimes you want to take that shortcut. You know, can yeah. I can I just go? What's the quickest way to get there? But you don't realize that once you get there, there's a lot of things that are discouraging and hard and painful that suddenly you want to leave. And so what I try to say is, yeah, getting there is the easy part. Staying there is the hard part. So why don't we take some moment, a little bit of extra time and prepare you to stay, not just prepare you to go. Mm. And uh, and so our emphasis is really focusing on what do you need to know to overcome the culture shock of that area? What do you need to know to uh, engage the gospel? How do you develop a patience to let the game come to you rather than trying to force <laughs> some kind of you know revival on an area? Mm. Uh, how do you handle the downtime? You know, there's a bunch of things that go on because our goal isn't to get you there. Our goal is to keep you there. And so yeah, that's a great focus yeah. that we have. Such an important thing. I mean, you're sharing these things and a whole flood of memories come back in my mind of my early days on the mission field. I'm sure you have those memories as well and the struggles that we had and being in difficult places and, and then new missionaries coming Uh hitting the field in the honeymoon stage and all excitement and, and so on until the reality sits in. And so I appreciate so much what you guys are doing to equip missionaries to stay. Yeah. 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 Now you have a, you have another role too, and this is a recent role. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, in regard to, to uh, our good friends at Soma. Yep, exactly. That's, <laughs> that, that is what I thought, but yeah, that, so one of the things that we've been working with is just partnership with churches, because our passion is that mission agencies don't plant churches. Churches should plant churches. And so 
So we recognize mm-hmm. we're not the DNA, man. We're just kind of the RNA. We're the church in seed form, but we're not, we're not, we want to see local churches work. And, and in our mission statement, you know, we talk about wanting to see Christ worshiped among all peoples. And our first line is by mobilizing the church, by, you know, investing into local churches. So Lord opened up a wonderful door to work with SOMA, uh, a church planning network uh, that is, is a global church planning network. And in that partnership, I've been able to serve in helping oversee the preparation of church planners. So people who want to plant churches locally and globally. And so we're offering our resources that we use for training our global church planners to also work within the SOMA network to help bring that same kind of training locally, because the reality with global migration and stuff we're going to talk about today, uh, I think if you the future of, of training people to plant churches, you're going to have to have a mission element to it because absolutely it's getting cross-cultural. And so, so I serve also then as the, the, the overseer of church planting for the Soma network. Well, everything yeah, that you were cool. listing, I was laughing because uh, right now at Neartown, you know, I have the privilege of helping guide and shape somebody uh, who is going to be planting a church here. And as you're listing all of those things, I was like, Oh yeah, he would need that. Yeah, he would need that too. He would also need that. Uh, so I'm really thankful that uh, the ways in which you are approaching the church planting work that you do with SOMA um, is not this uh, church planting versus missions, but right. church planting as mission. Um, that these are very much hand in hand. Um, the, the, the key is when you look at what Jesus said in Acts 1.8, he, he treats the Great Commission as one thing. Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world. It's not thens. It's not. Some people say, well, we got to do it here first. Mm. Then once we prove we can do it here first, then we can go to the nations. That's not what Jesus said. He said, and it's, it's a, you know, to quote Bob Roberts, it's a global work, right? It's, it's global and local Mm. together. It's (laughs) we're, we're saying, Hey, You've got to have a global strategy. Each generation is responsible for the globe. And then we're going to train up the next generation to be responsible for the globe. So we've got to kind of stop bifurcating this as local and global because we have to recognize we are all responsible for the everything. And uh, and so sometimes we get things mixed up, right? Jesus said, I'll build my church. You go make disciples of the nations. And what we do is they say, well, I'd like to just focusing on building the church and I'll let Jesus make disciples of the nations. And so we kind of flip the the roles, right? He said, I'll build my church. You make disciples of the nations. And, and then what do we do, man? I'm just planting this one church in this one place. I'm going to build this thing up. And and you kind of go, well, I, I'm not sure that that's what he told you to do. I, I think he told you to make disciples of all nations. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and why we remove the all nations from this and just say make disciples the great commission is about making disciples uh mm. you know it's kind of crazy so i just think we got to think about the whole planet we got you know we're responsible for all of it you know, i love that and i've loved that about you steve that emphasis on the ends not the thens because so often we will and i encounter this i'm sure you do too a, a church will have a strategy that's concentric circles first here then here then here and they may, and those churches that often do that never get out of that first circle, or rarely do they get out of that first circle. 
because by the time they start to think about that, they've already created a DNA that will limit them from having the ability or the capacity to go outside of who they are. And so that's so important to be thinking of the ands rather than the then here and there and so on. So, yeah. Yeah. I often think about, you know, if my wife, if I woke up in the morning and my wife told me, Hey, you know, you need to be home at five o'clock. And then she texted me at 10 o'clock. I need to be home at five o'clock. And she calls me at noon says, you need to be home at five o'clock. And she texts me at three o'clock. You need to be home at five o'clock. And I come home at six o'clock. You know, how much trouble am I in? Like how, how bad would that be? That would be bad, right? If she just, you know, five or six times reminded me to be home at five. Well, what about if God said over 700 times, I want my name to be known among the nations. And we just ignore that. Mm. You know, like it's all over the scriptures, but yet we want to just localize it. We just want to just, you know, get the entire messages. You know, I mean, the, the the covenant with Abraham begins that you're going to bless the nations, right? These these nations are going to get blessed. This is God's world. He made these people. Yeah. So, well, good. Hey. Great reminder. Great. Yep. Well, I think we can close the podcast. I, here. I literally yeah. was about to make the exact same joke. I was like, well, thanks for joining us on the Ephesiology <laughs> podcast. Yeah. Wait, we got to take the offering Dang. first. No, we have to take the offering. <laughs> Yeah, well, that that's good stuff. Well, we're excited, Steve, that you're joining us, and we're envisioning this being a series of podcasts because Steve's been doing some great thinking about the future of missions, and uh, we're going to introduce the topic. He's going to introduce the topic for us today, and and begin to talk about the things that are the things that have changed. I mean, you, you said yourself, you've dated yourself. Mm-hmm. Being involved in missions for uh, 34 years or so, I think is what I heard you mm-hmm. say back back when Andrew was still in diapers. I wasn't in um, diapers that long. Well, it was really it... clear. <laughs> That'd be very embarrassing. <laughs> so we're excited. Uh, I, I've enjoyed spending time with Steve over the past few years that we've gotten to know each other and have come to appreciate how deep of a thinker he is on missions and theology and strategy and education and uh, to just so value his input and uh, have really benefited from those conversations. So today we're going to begin this series talking about what Steve sees as the shifting sands in the last 30 years. So Steve, I'm going to just leave it there and, and let you riff a bit on what you're seeing as far as changes uh, yeah. in in the world over the last 30 years. Yeah. And of course, you know, that, that number is picked because it's just kind of my lifespan of ministry, right? Yeah. It's a nice of, arbitrary you know, number. Yeah, exactly. But, but really to, to see the level of how much adapting has gone on in, in, in the past 30 years uh, that I've had to do and had to make adjustments to things that, that have happened because of just cultural shifts, you know, technology shifts, just the, the rapid rate of change of the world, you know, as, as the industrial revolution kind of led way to a technology revolution that just absolutely changed communication. I mean, uh, you know, even just a perspective of time, how time has changed in, in missions. Um, I, I remember the first time I was getting ready to go to another country and 
mailing documents to another place and waiting for those documents to get some and knowing that it's going to be maybe a month before you're going to get a return of some other documents. And, <laughs> and so you're, you're in this world where like just the idea of preparation to go somewhere, even on a short-term trip, you recognize this like rate of time where today you're filling something out online and somebody's like, well, shouldn't I get my visa to get into this country? You know, I, I raise support. So I'm just going to get the visa and go. Okay. And the expectations, I'm going to fill it out online and then I'm going to have right. a thing in my inbox that, you know, that it's there. Mm-hmm. And, um, if you so even just under, yeah. And so you, you've got a cultural shifts of just recognizing time, but what does that do in the world of ministry that shrinks in investment time? It creates discouragement for, for people because you go somewhere and you think it should have a result, you know, stopping to think, Hey, what happens if this field you might not see leadership emerge for four generations? Are, are you prepared to just plow ground? Mm-hmm. Are you prepared to just just be plowing this ground and trusting that the missionaries who come after you are going to plant the seeds, trusting that the missionaries after them are going to reap the harvest? Um, so even just one shift is you get this shift of just a misunderstanding of time. And time has been condensed. And and I think that's a, a very big shift that's happened. And that even happened just, I would say, even started, you start to see that in the 90s as just techno- as communication starts to get faster and faster. Mm-hmm. But then I think even building on that more, I really appreciated, a, a, you know, a, a book by Eddie Gibbs in the early 2000s where he talked about megatrends that he saw happening. And I thought those megatrends were were amazing. And, 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 you know, what he was saying is that, you know, the world was going from modernity to post-modernity, which I think is a very interesting thought that um, from our perspective on the West, we thought science would get it all figured out. Here's your 10 steps to plant in a church. And, and Michael, you remember, you know, manuals and stuff probably you saw in the eighties of here's how you plant a church, you know, and you have little tabs in there, tab one, you do this tab two, you do this. And, and you think you you're going to follow I all wrote one of those. I still yeah. have it. Someplace. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Right. It was just like a, a kind of a modernity mindset. We can, we can create a scientific approach to this yeah. and uh, study it, get the evidence and then work it out. And moving to post-modernity where suddenly people started saying, I don't know if I trust those. Mm. And, uh, and I had one guy tell me early on, he was uh, in, in, in central Europe. This is the early two thousands. And he said, you know, every time somebody missionary comes from the United States, they always bring a binder with them, you know, and in that binder is all their training. And he said, they always want to train us. <laughs> He's like, I don't know why they think we all need training. You know, what is it about us that we, we, we are, we're not trained? We don't we don't read the Bible like, you know, but they want to come. They want to find a pastor and they want to train him. And uh, and so you start finding that, you know, he's he's reacting, of course. I then went and visited him, and I brought a bunch of binders along as a little gift, you know. <laughs> but, yeah, but that, that's, yeah. But that move is a big move, you know, from modernity to post-modernity, where we people globally start saying, "I'm, I'm not sure I want that binder. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure I need that Western system." Well, I mean, that goes along with uh, the whole idea of communication channels opening up, and uh, there right. being such a frequency now that 
you know, nothing remains hidden any longer. And so those from the outside looking back into the United States of those who are bringing these manuals and, you know, I can remember back in the day, Willow Creek was going to Europe, Saddleback was going to Europe, they're going all over the world and exponential, uh, you know, you name it, all of these groups now are trying to proliferate uh, globally. But they, people are looking back at where we are in the United States and saying, hey, wait, the, the church is in decline, Christianity's in decline. Do we really want this now? Or or do we need to be thinking a little bit differently uh, about the effectiveness of, of what might have been once effective mm-hmm. in the United States, but no longer is? Yeah, yeah, because... I think the binders work when we when when a culture is all uh, has the same assumptions, right? It's one to one. Yeah, exactly. That that if I'm going to a place that people already believe that there is a god, they might not know what that god is, but they believe there's a god. They believe that church isn't is a good thing. You, you know, um, I remember seeing a one of the old Billy Graham crusades, right? So it's an evangelistic crusade, and and he gets up on stage in front of, you know, th- tens of thousands of people. And, and this is in the 1950s. And the first question he asks is, who has a Bible with them? And everybody in the audience raises their hand. They all bring up, hold, hold up their Bibles. You're like, what evangelistic crusade do you have where people show up with Bibles? You to know, be like, told about what's in it. Yeah, to be told about what's in it. It just shows you that shift that even the lost people had Bibles, you know, in the West, in the United States. And so... So the manuals assume that kind of Bible knowledge is already there. You know, where today, if you said we're going to do an outreach and we're going to invite people who aren't Christians, if you began with who has a Bible in their hand, you know, I mean, I don't even know if even a lot of believers even bring Bibles to churches today. I think it's it's all on their phone or they're waiting for it to be up on the screen for. But I mean, that that thought of of. Out of that culture came all the manuals and things because it was easy to do. Uh, well, I won't say easy, but it was all same culture to now as information technology and travel, the fall of communism. I mean, just starting ministry when there was communism and then moving into a world where it went away. And there was this wide open optimism that you could go anywhere in the world. You could people were just enjoying that move. And uh, but it also brought about a different worldviews and suddenly you realize what you have and the manuals you have and the way you were trained was training you for Billy Graham's world yes. of the 1950s, not for this new world of atheists or secularists or Buddhists or, you know, somebody from another country that now I'm engaging. I really like the, uh, I mean, can you, can you trademark this binder thinking? I think but this, <laughs> let's write a book binder thinking there. You've nailed it. Um, it, the what you talk about, that binder mindset it did remind me a little bit of if you guys can remember all that long ago when you started having children uh as we were going through the getting ready to be parents phase it felt like so many books for parents they all came across with this feeling of this is what it's going to be every single time with your child mm-hmm. unless it isn't like there was this confidence that in in whatever situation you were going to go to, we have the tool for you. We have the advice. We have the wisdom. Just trust us. 
unless it just happens to not work. And then, you know, <laughs> like in every instance, exactly. <laughs> and that, and the funny thing is exact, Michael, you're hitting the nail on the head is that binder thinking it's dreaming up this fictitious world right. where you can bring that mindset in and it's going to work most mm. of the time. The reality is we've lived in a non-binder world for a very long time, but we've deluded ourselves into thinking these 10 steps can still get us there. Yeah. You, you know what? I agree with you, Andrew. I uh, We do live in a non-binder world, but isn't it interesting how binder minded we still are? Yes. You know, you just you just flip through uh, your social media feeds and you see uh, write a book now or <laughs> uh, or be be a five figure speaker or, you know, and they'll give you all the their roadmap to all of these things. And it's like a little bit whacked. Mm -hmm. uh, they haven't made that shift, but but we still get sucked into it, don't we? Yep. Um, okay. Because we're we we're we're having a difficult time, perhaps making that shift in our minds away from the the binder, from away from the easy one, two, three. Mm -hmm. Then you uh, have achieved something. Because yeah, slowing it, down and listening is harder. It is. You're so <laughs> right? right. It does. It isn't. It isn't clear. The, well, the thinking is harder. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because we need to we need to think a little bit more. And I, it, as we would do that, then perhaps our, our minds would be a, a little bit more open. Uh, thinking here of uh, Adam Grant and uh, some others, uh, Tom Nichols, talking about the death of expertise. Grant talking about thinking again and other ideas. But uh, but yeah, we need to think a little bit more about these things. Anyway, uh, yeah, you know, when you experience that, I think in. This is a this is anecdotal. This is my experience. Um, and Michael, I don't know if you would resonate with this or not, but the the modernity to postmodernity shift wasn't just a philosophical shift. It was a ministry shift for me because when I trained for ministry, no one would have said this, but you were training to become an expert. You had to go through these degree programs mm -hmm. and you had to go through ordination processes and you had to defend your thesis and you had to do all of these things so that you could stand back and say, I am Dr. Stephen Leston and I am an expert on subject XYZ. And that was a very modernity standpoint that I mm -hmm. would stand up as the expert. And so therefore, not only am I going to go somewhere, I'm going to bring the binder of my work with me because I'm an expert and you are not. You're from this other country and you didn't do this work. The experience that I had is I had to shift from because I started ministry striving to be the expert. And then as the world shifted and postmodernity kicked in, I had to shift from being an expert to being a learner. Mm -hmm. And I had to take on a different hat because the expertise I had was not of value. I mean, I have not gone to um, an unreached area or a, a group of people that, you know, are worshiping other gods and, and walked in the room and said, hey, could you give me three examples of the hypostatic union and how it applies to your life? And you know, but I had to answer that on an ordination test. But but the reality is that I had to go in and humble myself and say, everything I know right now is not of any help in this situation. I need to learn you. I need to be a learner. And I think that shift from expert to learner is something that's really been a big move. And for those of us guys in our 50s and 60s that kind of been through that, 
um, you know, we had to experience that because the guys that trained us were always the experts mm-hmm. and, and, uh, and they were the experts. They had the success. You know, you rarely went to a pastor's conference and said, the keynote speaker is this guy over here of a small church of 30 people in, you know, some small town in North Dakota. He's just faithfully served. And we're going to hear from him. It's this guy pastors a 10,000 member right. church. He's read 37, written 37 books and, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And uh, so he must be an expert. And uh, but then you you can't export that globally. It, it just it doesn't export globally. You've got to be a learner. I think that's been a huge shifting sand, and I think it's impacted the way we have to prepare people. We have to prepare people to be learners, not experts. Hmm. And, uh, yeah. yeah, well, I mean, you're addressing something that's so important as we think about how cultures have been intersecting uh, all over the world. And I know that's one of the things that you're seeing shift over the th- past 30 years it's just how globalized we've become. And to, to to be able to sit back and say that you're an expert in this or that is probably betrays more of an ignorance that, you know what, there are different ways to think about some of these things uh, because of the different cultures that we might encounter. Yeah. Yeah. And th- that element of expertise, I think, has, with that thinking, and I think what we've noticed in, in the past 30 years is it hasn't really advanced the gospel hmm. as much as it's advanced maybe Western constructs. Um, there was a, uh, uh, I don't know if he's Cherokee, he's Native American, and his name is Craig Smith. And he wrote a book called Whiteman's Gospel. It was one word, white man, Whiteman's Gospel. And basically the idea is that when Christianity came to uh, Native Americans, First Nations in Canada, um, it came with the culture. Right. And therefore, Christianity was seen as the white man's religion. And uh, because it was culturally run, but sometimes that expertise that we get, our kind of modernity way of being able to explain everything down to the, you know, to to the exact detail um, is more of our culture than it is necessarily um, a true understanding of scripture. And, uh, and so... Christianity's then been just labeled as, in this case, the white man's gospel, mm. and uh, and I think that's something that we have to that that's a shift we've had to make, and there have been some that have really led us well in that area. I mean, there's a lot of I'm not bemoaning and taking shots. I think there's really good leaders that have done a great job of of making that shift, and then there's been some that are still holding on to the 1980s and and uh, <laughs> they're not ready to throw their binders away yet. Yeah. I, legitimately, even as you're talking, you know, with the white man or the white man's gospel, Whitman, um, but that's actually very much still a conversation, even within African Americans, mm-hmm. right? Like this, this is a these are slave trader religion, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of people saying, is it is there anything good uh, that can actually be had with this? Um, if they continue to hold up the same God that they chased when they captured us and took us to America. So this is not a, this is what's uh, very difficult, Steve, even about thinking forward, uh, because this is still a very real issue today um, to move on from the binders, uh, to listen and to be the people 
that we feel called to be, to love like we have been called to love, not um, to lecture <laughs> yeah. and uh, to convince somebody to follow our logic. Um, and with this, relevant. with the spread of information technology and social media and all of that, that, that emerged, my kids are way more aware of other parts of the world than I was when I was, when I grew up, like, you know, like what they learned when they were in their teenage years and the things they were exposed to, they had a way more bigger view of the world than, than I did when I was 15. And, uh, and so I do think younger people are hearing and listening and watching films from other countries and, and, and getting worldviews. They're just exposed to a, you know, very multicultural worldview. And, and so globalization or globalism or whatever you want to call it, isn't just a business exchange of, you know, good and commerce and I, and things like that, but it's actually become a moment where communication is now possible on a global scale, which is changing mindsets and paradigms for, for people. And if you're, you can't just assume that things are divided in their silos like they used to be. And so there are people who are asking younger people asking questions that probably I would not have asked, would not have thought of. Um, and you think about how social media, how can launch a student movement in Iran that can actually shape world politics. And it all gets covered on Twitter mm. and people are engaging this. And I think as we're thinking about mission in a post everything world, we have to recognize that there's a global conversation going on every moment of every day. And if we just live in a world of a local conversation, we're missing it. You know, we're missing it. There, there's a global conversation going on with with everybody, whether it's just even an understanding of news stories that they would not have ever been exposed to. Um, and so, yeah, we're living yeah. in a world of global communication. So it's yeah, everything, yeah. everywhere, all at once. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Go see the movie. Uh, I haven't <laughs> seen it yet. Uh, you know what? I yeah, I hear that and I uh, agree. Um, but one of the interesting dynamics, particularly with young people, is that in such a global context where they're inundated with all sorts of information, there's also an increasing lack of trust in information or yes. uh, or a testing of that information to be sure that it's true. So it's just not people accepting things right. anymore ad hoc, but rather uh, it really trying to see, you know, is this, are those who are sharing this information with us, are they really authentic? Do they, do they live this out in their lives? Uh, and so there's a, it seems at least to me, a more of a testing of that information than what we've seen before. And often that's, you know, results in people talking about deconstructing and and yeah. these kinds of things that are uh, that correspond with the idea of postmodernity. I was at a a at a college talking to actually I was at a college presenting the ministry, but there was a high school student who was at the college because there was also a missions conference going on at the college, and the high school student wanted to go to the to the conference. And so I'm having a conversation with a high school student and, and I made a comment about my, my global migrants. And I said, you know, there's so many people migrating 200 and 
eighty some two hundred seventy eight million people migrating or something like this. So many. And this this high school girl. This just goes to your point, Michael. This high school girl <laughs> goes to me. She says, "Can you source that for me?" Uh, <laughs> you know, like she wasn't going to accept that number. She's like, what, "What's your source?" And I said, yeah. uh, "I got it from United uh, from the International Organization of Migrants. It's a UN document." Okay, what page? You know, yeah. like is a you know, you know, a girl that's you know fourteen or fifteen years old, but she's not even going to accept my number. Like, she wants she wants the source right now. Don't give me that number unless you give me the source. And you think, well, that just kind of goes to your point. I, I smiled and I said, "Good for you." I said, yeah, accepting that, you know. But I'm not going to give you the page. I'm going to just send you the thousand-page document right now. Give me your, <laughs> give me your email. I'll send it to you. It's you called know. "Use the Find" feature exactly. in the document. <laughs> Well, we are just at the beginning of this conversation, and uh, we're looking forward to continuing it with you, Steve, as we look at ways in which the world is changing uh, over the past 30 years and and what the implications for that are as we think about missions uh, to the world. And uh, so next time we're going to talk about various forces that you've identified that are impacting the way in which we need to be thinking about missions. And then... We'll talk about innovations that we need to be thinking about in missions, too. So I'm grateful that you joined us today, Steve. Looking forward to how this conversation is going to continue. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been been fun. Um, Steve, if somebody wants to send you an email or they want to get some um, ideas in your head about all these things, how do they reach you? If they go on to our website, whoevertribe.org, there's a contact us page. They can contact through that contact link it uh they can they can connect through me through there it's a great way to do it fantastic well thank you steve for joining us thank you michael for continuing to share your wisdom uh with all of us uh, we invite you uh, not just to listen to this podcast but continue to seek out information uh, about to every tribe as well as ecclesiology and all that god's doing uh, we recently had an episode talking about the very, very exciting steps that we are taking with the Physiology Masterclasses and in combining with the Movement Leaders Collaborative. Um, it's so wonderful. So please seek that last episode out. Please hear uh, what God is doing through us. And if you have questions for us or want to continue to engage with us, go to physiology.com or find us on Facebook, uh, Instagram, Twitter, interact with us there. So uh, for Michael, for Steven, and myself, thank you for joining us on the Ephesiology Podcast.